This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, April 1st. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rachel Del Judas. Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland joins me on today's Daily Signal podcast. As a physician, he talks about his perspective of the coronavirus pandemic, what still needs to be done, and how Congress and the president should move forward as they work to respond to the crisis. Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. President Donald Trump is floating the idea of a $2 trillion infrastructure bill as a way to keep the economy going through the coronavirus pandemic. On Tuesday, Trump tweeted, With interest rates for the United States being at zero, this is the time to do our decades-long awaited infrastructure bill. It should be very big and bold, $2 trillion, and be focused solely on jobs and rebuilding the once great infrastructure of our country, Phase 4. On Friday, the House passed and Trump signed a $2 trillion stimulus package, dubbed the CARES Act, that included $250 billion earmarked for direct payments to families and individuals, $350 billion allocated for small business loans, and $250 billion in unemployment insurance benefits. On Tuesday, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the impeachment trial of President Donald Trump this winter distracted lawmakers from the pending threat of COVID-19. It came up while we were tied down with the impeachment trial, and I think it diverted the attention of the government because everything every day was about impeachment, McConnell said on the Hugh Hewitt radio program, as reported by the Washington Examiner. The House impeached Trump on December 18th, and the Senate began their trial on January 16th, concluding about three weeks later on February 5th. At the end of January, senators received a classified coronavirus briefing, and Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas called the virus the biggest and most important story in the world. McConnell stated on the Hugh Hewitt radio program that Tom was right on the mark. Tom figured this out early, and he was absolutely right. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and also a member of President Trump's Coronavirus Task Force, told CNN on Tuesday that discussions are being had about more than just medical workers using masks to help prevent the spread of coronavirus. Here's what he had to say in an interview with CNN. When we get in a situation where we have enough masks, I believe there will still be some very serious consideration about more broadening this recommendation of using masks. We're not there yet, but I think we're close to coming to some determination. Because if, in fact, a person who may or may not be infected wants to prevent infecting someone else, one of the best ways to do that is with a mask. So perhaps that's the way to go. Some of your favorite retail stores are facing extreme financial challenges during the coronavirus pandemic. JCPenney announced Tuesday via a formal press release that, quote, as a result of store closures, JCPenney has made the difficult decision to temporarily furlough the majority of store hourly associates beginning April 2nd. During this time, the company will also require a smaller corporate workforce. Beginning April 5th, a significant portion of associates in the company's home office, Salt Lake City, and Soho design offices will be furloughed, 
along with its store salaried associates. Many of the company's associates in supply chain and logistics centers were previously furloughed on March 20th, and those furloughs will continue. Macy's, Kohl's, and Gap have taken similar actions, furloughing thousands of workers. Business experts say that we will see many other stores take similar actions in the coming days and weeks. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger says that there are about 630,000 retail outlets that are shuttering right now in the month of March. And the National Retail Federation says that they're going to lose something like over $400 billion. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is working to establish a peaceful transition of power between Nicolas Maduro and the interim government of Venezuela led by Juan Guaido. The plan from Pompeo, according to a press release from the U.S. Department of State, calls for the establishment of a broadly acceptable transitional government to administer free and fair presidential elections and a pathway to lifting Venezuela-related U.S. sanctions. It builds on the proposals put forward by the interim government of Venezuela headed by Juan Guaido. On Tuesday, Pompeo tweeted, Today, the U.S. presented a framework for democratic transition as a clear, equitable, and common-sense path to end the political crisis in Venezuela. Economic pressure will continue until Maduro accepts a genuine democratic transition. In Idaho, biological men will no longer be allowed to compete in women's sports. Republican Governor Brad Little signed a new bill into law on Tuesday that will prevent transgender individuals from participating in sports teams that differ from their biological gender. The ACLU of Idaho lashed out at Governor Little over Twitter, saying, quote, No one, including at Governor Little, can keep trans people from existing. We will continue to fight every day so that trans people have the same rights as every other Idahoan. According to the Daily Caller News Foundation, just 29% of Americans support allowing biological men who identify as women to compete in women's sports. Next up, Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland joins me to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. We know that everyone's highest priority right now is staying healthy through the coronavirus pandemic. And our priority at The Daily Signal is making sure you have the information you need to stay healthy. Here is Dr. Deborah Burks, head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, explaining who should be tested for COVID-19. So right now, as we're rolling out testing across America into these high-speed testing laboratories that can get diagnoses back quickly, we're asking all of you to prioritize those in the risk groups to be tested and those first responders and our healthcare delivery workers who really need to know whether they're positive or not. As we get everyone tested that really needs it for a diagnosis because they're so ill, we can move on to those who are less sick. I'm joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Congressman Andy Harris of Maryland. Congressman Harris, it's great to have you back on the Daily Signal podcast. Great to be with you, Rachel. As a physician, can you tell us about your perspective on the coronavirus pandemic? Well, this is something that we certainly haven't seen in a while. Uh, we, we, of course, have seen you know the SARS and MERS and uh, H1N1, uh, but this is one that I think is uh, going to affect many more Americans than those other uh, viruses. And uh, it's, it's going to be with us for a while, but it's something that we'll work our way through. 
Congressman, data from the CDC for Monday showed that the U.S. now has a total of over 140,000 cases of coronavirus and over 2,000 deaths. How would you rate the response from President Trump as well as healthcare officials? Well, look, again, this is something that, that's unprecedented. You know, every uh, flu season, we obviously get millions and millions of people, uh, tens of millions of people who have the flu, uh, th- tens of thousands of people who die from it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if, if those numbers uh, continue to uh, go up. Uh, obviously, this, uh, this uh, virus is uh, about 10 times more lethal than the flu, uh, but yet uh, much less lethal than uh, Ebola virus or other viruses. And uh, again, this is unprecedented in the United States. I think the president has uh, done the appropriate thing and developed public-private partnerships to make sure that we have uh, all the things we need to uh, mitigate this and as well as uh, to develop treatments and vaccines. On Friday, Congressman, uh, as you all know, the House passed the Coronavirus Age Package or CARES Act. What was your perspective of that legislation? Well, you know, this is uh, this is an example of never let a, a crisis uh, go to waste. Uh, the bottom line is that uh, they took uh, good components of the legislation, uh, certainly needed to help our small businesses. We certainly needed to cover unemployment. Uh, but what they did is then they uh, added on uh, provisions that, uh, for the first time in unprecedented fashion, uh, people will actually get uh, paid more not to work than to work. Uh, which I think is a bad policy move. That's why I, I voice voted against the uh, the bill. It it obviously passed and went to the president for signature. Uh, but I think that that was that was a major flaw in the bill and one that of course uh, was added in in as an omnibus bill. That's what happens. These kind of things creep into bills. Uh, not to mention the seventy five million dollars for Corporation for Public Broadcasting for National Endowment of the Arts, National Endowment of the Humanities, twenty five million for the Kennedy Center. Uh, it's just not the way we should do business. As the ink is barely dry on that package, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has been talking about having a fourth stimulus package. Does Congress need to do more on legislation for coronavirus in the near future? What is your perspective? Well, we, we have heard that the Speaker is putting a package together. I don't think she's going to ask for Republican input. Uh, you know, we, the House doesn't really function like the Senate, where, where things have to be done in a bipartisan fashion. I think uh, the Speaker feels uh, perfectly adequate to do everything in, in a partisan fashion in the House. So I'm sure some of the measures like the Green New Deal and uh, some of the uh, voting, uh, and I put in quotes, reform measures uh, that the Democrats wanted in the third bill, uh, they'll put into a fourth bill, but hopefully uh, the Senate will, you know, will will see through that. Uh, what we have to do in the fourth bill, one thing we do have to do is we have to go back and make sure uh, that there's no double dipping going on. Uh, that you know, people who need the aid get the aid, uh, but no one should be uh, profiting from uh, uh, from this uh, uh, terrible crisis. And uh, and then that is possible if we don't take the right precautions. On Monday, Congressman, your governor, Larry Hogan, issued a stay-at-home order. What is your perspective on his approach? Well, you know, I I think that the approach uh, that Ron DeSantis took in Florida was uh, probably a better approach, which is uh, recognizing that, uh, you know, areas of the states are different. Uh, You know, in Virginia, obviously, there's uh, population uh, congestion up in uh, northern Virginia, but in many parts of rural Virginia, if they're like my district in the rural parts of Maryland, uh, really have very low numbers of coronavirus. Uh, And uh, measures short of uh, stay-at-home measures probably would be adequate. 
Um, so I, I think a better approach is probably to take an approach on a county by county basis instead of a statewide basis. But uh, again, governors, uh, I think throughout the county, most uh, throughout the st- country, most of them are taking statewide approaches. But I think uh, uh, some of the jurisdictions, especially the more rural jurisdictions, uh, would be best left uh, w- without such rigorous, uh, such rigorous guidelines. What are you hearing, Congressman, from hospitals in your state as well as colleagues in medicine? Do they have enough medical supplies and staff? Well, you know, I speak regularly with the uh, with our Secretary of Health. Uh, we are ramping up. Uh, we 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 are not anywhere near capacity at this point in time, but the number of cases is increasing, and and the number of uh, patients who are hospitalized and the number of patients who require ventilators and intensive care support is increasing. Uh, but we're we're a long ways from uh, saturating uh, our uh, hospitals right now, and of course, we're setting up an emergency hospital and convention center. Uh, and uh, we, we are uh, organizing our ambulatory care centers uh, so that uh, surgical centers so that they could be overflow areas. Uh, so I think we're going to we're going to be all right. Uh, so governors, have, you know, stepped up and they've uh, they've done the appropriate thing, which is to make sure their states are ready. Uh, I'm not sure that they, that the federal government needs to needs to tell states what to do. I think their governors should uh, be able to do that. Uh, but the federal government is an important clearinghouse for things that the states need. Uh, so, for instance, we know that New York, which has a, uh, a uh, overwhelming uh, number of uh, uh, COVID-19 patients, uh, does need more personal protective equipment, for instance, and, uh, you know, did need the hospital ship sent there. Uh, but that's not true in all jurisdictions. So the federal government uh, can be an appropriate clearinghouse uh, to make sure that what uh, various jurisdictions need, they get. The coronavirus pandemic has prompted a lot of people to talk about how reliant the United States is on China for pharmaceuticals and other medical supplies. Do you think we rely too much on China for medical supplies and what should be done if we do? Sure. I, th- I think, you know, that there there are, uh, and I'll put it in quotes, silver linings to this uh, coronavirus cloud. And one of them is, is that I think it's a wake up call to the United States uh, that uh, we have outsourced a lot of things that probably shouldn't have been outsourced. So in this instance, we found out that a lot of our pharmaceutical uh, raw materials, as well as some of our pharmaceuticals that are necessary, including antibiotics, uh, come from China. And uh, China is, uh, you know, China is not a friendly nation to us. Uh, they are competitors. Uh, and in, in the case of a pandemic like this, uh, every country in the world will, will want access to the same pharmaceuticals and the same raw materials. Uh, so I think it's uh, after this is over, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have to provide incentives uh, for manufacturers, just like we do for Department of Defense items. If we have an, an important uh, an, items that are important during an emergency, uh, they should be sourced in the United States, and we should have the ability to to supply our own needs. What else needs to be done to combat the coronavirus pandemic? I think the private sector has step, stepped up. Our uh, our first class pharmaceutical companies are uh, have uh, vaccines uh, in production uh, and and in testing already. Uh, so I think uh, I'm I'm pretty confident that by the by the end of this year or beginning of next year we're going to have a vaccine in place. Uh, they've stepped up with uh, testing antivirals some, such as uh, resdemivir. Uh, we have, uh, obviously, hydroxychloroquine has been approved uh, by the FDA for usage. 
Uh, so our companies have stepped up and done what they need to do. And it, it, truly, our world-class companies, testing companies, have stepped up uh, with tests that now will take under five minutes. Abbott just released a test uh, that will take five minutes to do. Uh, in-home testing is, is possible. Uh, so America is, is actually going to lead the world in a lot of the innovation that the world will need in order to deal with this uh, with this pandemic, because uh, we know that China was the first nation uh, to have a big problem, then South Korea, then Italy, then Europe, now the United States. But uh, uh, continents like Africa, which have a small number of cases now, obviously, uh, by this time next year could ha- could be overwhelmed with it. But by then, American uh, ingenuity and biotechnology, I think, will go a long way towards solving the world's problem with coronavirus. Congressman, looking at small businesses and private industries in your state of Maryland, are there any that are helping combat coronavirus in Maryland? Uh, absolutely. You know, we have we have a defense contractor called Hardwire uh, in my district, a, a great company, family owned, family run. Uh, they, ma- they make uh, shielding for our troops. They make uh, the battle shielding for our troops. And uh, they've converted their assembly lines to making uh, face shields uh, for our medical pro- or medical providers in our hospitals. Uh, and we're seeing examples of this uh, everywhere. So, uh, you know, Americans step up when they when they need it. They step up. We unite. We're going to get through it, like the president says. And uh, we'll we will be better when we get through this because we'll we'll be ready. I think much more ready for the next one to come along. Uh, when it comes along, because it's not if it comes along, but in this day and age, we know that uh, these viruses mutate naturally. And in, in an era where genetic manipulation of viruses is so readily available throughout the world, uh, we have to be ready for a virus used as a bioweapon at some point as well. How hopeful are you for the anti-malaria drug trials that are being used to treat coronavirus? There were what we call anecdotal uh, evidence, so uh, uh, evidence of use of hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine plus zinc and azithromycin. Uh, And some of the reports have been quite encouraging. But, of course, we uh, we will get much more experience now that uh, the FDA has approved it uh, for use on an emergency basis. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, New York has a lot of cases, but fortunately, uh, they will we will have much uh, better data about the use of these drugs and the efficacy of these drugs, uh, I think very shortly. I suspect within two or three weeks, we're going to know whether the antimalarial drugs combined with zinc and azithromycin uh, actually work. Uh, I hope they do. Uh, I, you know, I hope the president's hunch is right about this. Uh, certainly, I will tell you that if, that if I uh, got sick right now, I would certainly take them. I think the evidence is good enough uh, that, it, that it's worth uh, taking. And then when we get enough experience with enough patients, uh, we'll know whether or not it, it, uh, it actually works. President Trump had talked about wanting to get people back to work by Easter, but then announced on Sunday that he's going to be extending the national social distancing guidelines for another 30 days. What's your perspective on this? You know, I think the president uh, was right in extending it a bit. Uh, I think I hopefully hopefully the next step will be again this will be being much more selective about which areas we we uh, take the more rigorous uh, precautions in. Uh, certainly, social distancing is a good idea in any in any flu season, uh, and this is no exception. Uh, but what the president uh, realized, I believe, is that uh, w- once we get uh, readily available rapid testing. Again, which is an, you know will be an American breakthrough. Uh, we're going to be able to much better pinpoint where the hotspots are and where they aren't. Uh, we'll also uh, be developing a test very soon uh, available that will test whether or not you have had it. So not not whether you actively had it, 
but whether you have had it in the past by measuring the antibodies in your blood. And uh, once we know that and we, we can confidently say that someone has recovered, they have antibodies, then there's no reason that person certainly can't go back to work because uh, they're not at risk for getting the coronavirus again. Given what President Donald Trump said about extending social distancing guidelines, how do you think the country should proceed in the coming weeks, recognizing the threat of the virus while at the same time being prudent about the implications it has on the economy? Well, I, I think we have to do, uh, again, we have to follow what the president has, has suggested. We have to uh, maintain social distancing. We have to minimize our contact with others. If we get sick, we should obviously quarantine ourselves until we know whether we've had uh, we're t- tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, clearly now the uh, rapid tests which are deployed really nationwide now uh, will uh, greatly improve that circumstance. So what we have to do is we have to, uh, you know, pay attention to, to keeping ourselves uh, healthy as possible. And then, again, Americans are stepping up. A lot of uh, companies that uh, were not in the business of doing things or making things that are important for this epidemic uh, are in the business of doing that now. So, you know, I want to thank all the Americans who have done that. And special, uh, especially we should thank and every American should thank our healthcare care workers who are on who are really on the front line. Uh, they're putting their technically, technically and really putting their life and health on the line in order to take care of other people. Uh, and that's again, that's a, a great calling they've had. And uh, we should be very thankful to them. And lastly, Congressman, what do you think the U.S. can learn from how COVID-19 has affected other countries across the world? We certainly learned from how China and South Korea have handled it. Of course, we can't do what China did, which uh, because you know they're an authoritarian state, and uh, you know separated families and quarantined families separately. That they they did things that uh, you can't do in a country with uh, freedom and liberty. Uh, South Korea, again, by rapidly instituting social distancing and quarantining, were able to get a hold of their uh, pandemic very very quickly. Well, Congressman Harris, it has been a pleasure to have you on the Daily Signal podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. We do appreciate your patience as we record remotely during these weeks. Please be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. And please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts and give us your feedback. Stay healthy and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.